My fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Linder, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, CK. How are you doing, CK? Back from your long trip. How are you doing? Finally back. I missed you, man. Missed the show. Yeah, I missed having you on, but Nolan did an excellent job filling in for you while you were off there yeah. traveling the world. So, yeah. Are you going to tell us a little bit about your, your trip? How was it? Did you get in any trouble, eat any too spicy <laughs> food? What What's going on? Yeah, man. I'm looking my wounds a little bit, a little tired, a little under the weather. I got a canker sore from all the from all the spicy food that I was eating. So looking my wounds a little bit, but overall, you know, I'm, I made it. I, I, I landed back in Nashville and the very next day I'm here with you going to talk macro. And yeah, huge shout out to Nolan. I personally think Nolan is one of the best analysts out there. And I feel blessed that Bitcoin Magazine is graced with both you, Ansel, and Nolan, you know, as really good, really good analysts and really interesting hyper-Bitcoinization thinkers. So that's the kind of signal that we like to bring here to Bitcoin Magazine. And we are very blessed to have both you and Nolan. I want to give a shout out to Bitcoin Magazine. I got I got my four Bitcoin magazines and I am so excited. Later today, I'm going to get my hands on the newest issue, the broke issue. In it, we call out the bankers. We call out Sam Bankman-Fried. We call out the media and... We talk about how fiat is going broke and why we need Bitcoin. So that's a big part of what we talk about on this show, FedWatch. But yeah, India, ultimately, I got to say the most impressive thing to me, the beauty, the color, the food is all amazing. And I was kind of signaling a little bit on Twitter that I was in India and the outreach from Indian Bitcoiners just wanting to really? hang out say what's up. Oh my God, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. So I'm touched by that. And I'm constantly reminded how amazing the Bitcoin community is. So, you know, if you, you know, are in this space and 
you know, you, you're in this community and really anywhere around the world, you can find friends. So I've experienced that many times, sometimes to my wife's dismay, she's like rolling her eyes. Oh, we're going to hang out with Bitcoiners again out here. But usually it's, it's just an absolute blessing. And honestly, speaking of hanging out with Bitcoiners, the best place to travel where I'm going to be is Bitcoin 2023. So that's May 18th through the 20th. Use promo code BM live to save 10%. Ticket prices are going to go up at, I think at the mid next month. So they go up every single month. So get your tickets now. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have thousands and thousands of Bitcoiners there. The biggest event of the year. And if you want to get a job, if you want to meet Bitcoiners, we are thinking about everything that has to do with macro that has to do with Bitcoin education that has to do with, like I said, Nolan, who is an amazing analyst. He's also helping us program it along with an amazing team led by some really talented people on our staff. So really, really excited for Bitcoin 23. But yeah, Ansel, that's enough of me shilling. I guess you want to tell the, <laughs> the audience about Bitcoin and markets, what you do every single day, and then we can jump into, into this list of macro topics you got set up for us. Yeah, before I do that, I just wanted to say, you know, I think when you were over there, India officially overtook China as the most populous nation. So you were there when they, when that official statistic ticked over. So that's pretty cool. And what about Mumbai 2024 for Bitcoin Magazine? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I was in Chennai and they have a pretty impressive convention center there. I was kind of poking around it, but I don't know. You know, hey, the the folks at, over in India, I think that they're planning an event there. So I'm not 100% sure of the details of what goes down in India, <laughs> but we would definitely need some partners if we were going to pull that off. Absolutely. Uh, now, we're working on Bitcoin 2023 in Miami. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait to see you again over there, Ansel. But yeah, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to go global eventually. Bitcoin is going global. It's just that, you know, it's tough to scale Bitcoin magazine, of course. Well, yeah, I was just saying that'd be, that'd be an amazing, amazing conference. But okay, so today we are going to talk about the Bitcoin price, of course. We've had a rally since you've been gone. Really, the price has just been rallying one direction. So we're going to cover that. Go over the numbers Hold released. It. Uh, go over the the yeah, I said no, but you called it. Yep. And then go over the Q4 GDP numbers. So not only Q4, but 2022 US GDP numbers came out just this morning. So we're going to cover that. And the thumbnail of today's episode is Japan pulls out a new monetary bazooka. We're going to cover what is detailed or detail out what they are doing exactly over there. Make sure if you're watching live, you like and subscribe, make a comment, you know, down there, both on Rumble and YouTube. We like to have a little competition to see who, you know, where are more viewers, either YouTube or Rumble. So make sure you share out to your, you know, social media so that we can Rumble try to pump wins. up. Yeah, Rumble's been winning marginally every single week for the last couple months. But yeah, like, share, subscribe. Also, if you want to, if you're listening on the podcast version later, I recommend checking the description for the associated post that will be for this, this podcast. And you can see all the charts and slides that we talk about, because I know when you're listening on audio only, sometimes it's confusing, obviously, when you're, we're talking about these charts, but yeah, just check the description and you'll go to the post and see all the charts. And other than that, I would just say, guys, follow me on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. You can follow everything I do. What I, I'm, I'm blessed. The CK was just saying how he's blessed. I'm blessed that, you know, CK has given me the creative, you know, discretion on this show to do, you know, to do FedWatch the way I like to do it. And my goal is really to provide real understanding 
of macro so that we can have a real understanding of Bitcoin. I think the macro understanding comes first so you can understand money and then you understand Bitcoin in that context. So all of my content is about that from that angle. And if you want to follow me, do it best places on Telegram right now. So that's all I have. Should we jump into the Bitcoin price? The first slide, CK. Let's do it. All right. Uh -oh, we got some jitters. Is that just on my end? No, no, I saw that too. Okay. How do you feel about the Bitcoin price? We'll give Chris a sec. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So the Bitcoin price, I mean, it is obviously awesome. It feels super, super good to come off the bottom like we have been to rally over the last week and a half, two weeks, is it now? We're over a lot of the moving averages I have on the screen here. The green is the 50 day. The orange is the 200-day. It's been a long time since we've been over that 200-day moving average, so it really does feel good. There are a few things that I'm watching technically about this move that I feel like it does need to correct a little bit before we can continue going higher. On the bottom of this chart, you can see the RSI. It hit 89 on the daily, which is extremely oversold. We haven't been that, or sorry, overbought. We haven't been that overbought since January of 2021 and before that, December of 2017. So it very rarely gets over 89. And that's what we did on the daily here just the other day. So that means it's going to take a gargantuan effort to get back over that to relieve any sort of bearish divergence. But what I'm thinking for the next couple weeks here is simply, uh, you know, come down and test that 200 day, find some support and then continue higher. So that's my price analysis in a nutshell. CK, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's that sounds very healthy to me, right? And that would be the the healthiest way forward is to kind of test support. And it looks like there's a lot of support between the 50 day. Is that the 50 day that you have up in green? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the 50 day and the 200 day, you know, I use the 200 day heavily in the way that I kind of uh, measure is Bitcoin expensive or is Bitcoin cheap right now. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's I can tell you it's been a long time since we've gotten above one. So that means this entire time we've been in stacking territory. You know, I still think we're in stacking territory, honestly. So if Bitcoin goes down, great. I hope it finally goes down for my my weekly buy. Yes, I've, I, I weekly DCA, not daily or whatever. You know, it's just the easiest for me. But, you know, uh, I think that it, if, it, if it dunks down a little bit, test the 200-day, the and then that is support that's extremely bullish. You know, barring, I still think that there is some big industry fallout that could happen. But, you know, Genesis saying that are going bankrupt, it looks like that's been pretty priced in. And if anything, it looks like it's pretty bullish. That At least that's what the chart is telling us. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this in the past. So on the left-hand side of this chart, you see that hump right before the FTX crash. And we've talked about what was it going to be like once we surpassed that, you know, and we lived through the FTX crash and the mark, the big money, the market movers, the market makers, they are seeing this and they're like, didn't Bitcoin die? Right. So th this will be a major thing when Bitcoin hangs out at this level, find some support. You know, I think that's going to be extremely bullish for those institutional buyers that we do need in Bitcoin. You know, I, I talk about this on my Telegram all the time. Guys, the, the 1% is who needs to adopt this to become money. So we, we want to get these institutional buyers in and this Bitcoin making moves like this, beating all the FUD, coming out the other side, 
that is what does it. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for the next couple months. Do you think that this, that was the bottom? I mean, you said you thought that there might be another shoe to drop somewhere. Will it get back down to fresh lows or what, what's your take on that? I, I honestly have no idea. So this could very easily be the bottom. I like kind of, I remember the feeling that I got when Bitcoin went from 3K back up to 6K in 2020. Mm. And it, it felt like, wow, 3K is gone. And honestly, I kind of get that feeling now, at least with 16K. It was like, hey, you got what you got. So, yeah. you know, that's that's not <laughs> that's not really any amazing analysis or anything like that. It's just uh, the way that this kind of climbed is just like felt like, OK, Bitcoin just got repriced up. Um, mm -hmm. And honestly, seeing it go finally above the 200 day, obviously, the 200 day has been coming down. It's, it's kind of met us in between in, in the middle. But I think that that's pretty bullish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know, man. I think there is a lot of correlation between stocks and Bitcoin right now. And it, I don't have a stock market chart here, but if you put on the S&P 500 and you have those same moving averages, you saw on the Bitcoin chart, we're getting close to a golden cross, you know, where the 50 crosses above the 200 day. And it's right there for stocks as well. Yet, there's all this talk about inflation or sorry, a recession everywhere. Everybody is saying there's going to be a hard landing that the, this absolutely, the economy is horrible and it's going to get worse. And, you know, we can't avoid something maybe even worse than the great financial crisis is headed our way. So if that is the case, you know, that, that says that not only do stocks, but Bitcoin, that it has another leg down to go, but looking at how they're actually moving right now, there's nothing to say I mean, they're both in bullish territory. There's nothing to, nothing to say that there is going to be a hardcore recession. Any thoughts on general the general climate in the United States and even the global economy? Any thoughts on that, CK? I mean, in general, I think the economy doesn't feel healthy. So, but I could definitely, that doesn't necessarily mean that stock markets and other markets won't roar up, right? You know, part mm. of the issue here is that the monetary system is broken to the point where nothing makes sense anymore. And there is a, pro there's kind of a tendency to gamble as well. So, you know, there's this nihilism, you know, why not just try to go for broke and see if you can, you know, get the winning lotto ticket. So I feel like there's, there's this kind of element that is going to constantly be pushing these markets around no matter what. Um, I can't say like the real economy is going to be good. Obviously, if markets are going up, people are feeling rich and, you know, that is going to, you know, create, create the wealth effect. consumption, the yeah. wealth effect, you know, things will burn hot. You know, I've heard people say that China is going to be burning hot as they open up. Maybe that spreads globally. You know, maybe that is reflected in Bitcoin and, and key equities and other large markets. I don't know. So I'm very curious to think here, you know, what you think, like what could push things down, you know, you know, th yes, this move is feels pretty strong, but at the same time, you know, we've seen Bitcoin drop below the 200 day move moving average after jumping up above it before. So it's not like it'd be the first time that the shoe just drops after something happens, you know, and who knows anything is on the table. We live in clown world, really. Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing that I've been saying recently on all my live streams and stuff is I think there is a 50% chance of a soft landing on any recession and only a 25% chance of a hard landing. And there's actually a 25% chance of no recession. 
So that is kind of how I'm viewing this. Uh, a return to post GFC normal. Low growth, low inflation. That is what I expect. I don't expect, I mean, COVID was a one-off thing, I think. So, and it was just a couple years ago. So we usually don't have recessions. You know, they're usually seven to 10 years apart, not two years apart. So that's kind of my general framework of how I'm looking at this. But we'll get into more of that with GDP numbers and also Japan's situation. So let's keep rolling on this. Let's real quick before we get into the GDP debt ceiling. Have you been following any of the debt ceiling stuff or, or have you been kind of no calm? You know? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely not been following it as much as everyone else, but I did tune into last week's show and okay. it does seem like there's a, a decent amount of political theater. I know that you've mentioned it's all about the troops getting paid. There was one of yeah. these debacles you know, while we recorded Bedwatch in the past. And, you know, that was kind of the commentary then as well. So I don't know. I thought it was really interesting when the government quote unquote shut down. I think your commentary about that really opening people's eyes to like all the useless spending and unnecessary things that are happening in general was was pretty accurate. And honestly, like I would be very interested to see how the political theater plays out and if that, you know, comes into play once again. Yeah, for sure. Chris, can you pull up the slide number two, please? This is just a tweet that I saw this morning from Bloomberg. The and they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing some fear mongering here. 15% plunge in GDP, millions out of work and full blown financial crisis. The costs of a debt ceiling standoff are even worse than you think. And I just wanted to read a little bit from this article. So here we go. The fallout from a month long standoff would be even more dire with gross domestic product plummeting faster than at any time other than the second quarter of 2020, when much of the economy was shuttered in response to COVID-19. There's also a risk that millions could be thrown out of work over the longer term damaged investor confidence and the resulting increase in U.S. borrowing costs would exact a continuing toll. Now you could say all of those things. So damage to investor confidence and higher borrowing costs might actually result from raising the debt ceiling as well, but they don't say that this is just all fear, you know, get out there and we need to raise the debt ceiling. So let's continue a little bit more. On January 19th, Secretary Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that the country had hit the current debt limit of $31.4 trillion and that she had begun resorting to quote unquote extraordinary measures. The use of accounting maneuvers such as deferring contributions to pension funds for civil service employees would allow the Treasury to continue making payments outside the government in full and on the normal schedule for a limited period of time. Yellen told Congress earlier this month that she expects funds to hold up at least through early June. Some analysts say she could keep the dance going until July or even later. Once Treasury has exhausted the extraordinary measures, it will be able to pay out in spending only as much as it receives in revenue. Basically, it will be forced to run a balanced budget until Congress lifts the debt ceiling restoring Treasury's ability to sell bonds to raise money. So that's just the synopsis of what's going on. And like you touched on there last week, we talked about it being political theater. And yeah, nothing really has changed here. I just think it's funny. It's such a bad thing to have a balanced budget. The balanced budget could cause all of this stuff, like this tweet says, 15% plunge in GDP and millions of out of, out of work. It's just kind of crazy. So any other additional thoughts on this? Well, if it doesn't come true, like you're predicting, then 
that's going to be another crack in kind of the illusion that is really keeping everyone mesmerized with what the Fed does and what the government does. Because mm -hmm. part of this whole thing is people mentally checking out and people mentally opting out and deferring to other systems. We think Bitcoin is that that system. So um, I think it's huge, this kind of Streisand effect of like, hearing what they say in the media and then seeing what happens in real life and seeing that contrast, you know, slowly it wakes people up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same as most things out there where the government lies to you that the, you know, certain, you know, the treasury secretary or the, the white house press secretary openly lies to you over and over and over again, eventually you wake up. So that's, that's a good thing. My fellow plebs, Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Okay, let's go on to fourth quarter GDP numbers. So this just came out this morning and let's pull up the next slide, please, Chris. Here we go. So gross domestic product, fourth quarter and year 2022. So the real gross domestic product. Now remember real is nominal minus the inflation index that they use. So it increased at an annual rate of 2.9% in the fourth quarter, according to the advanced estimate released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And so this is the advanced, usually they go through the advanced and then three revisions. Q3 is on its third revision. So you can see about how long that takes. This is just the advanced copy or advanced data for Q4. And yeah, it printed a very big number. Now I wanted to draw the attention to this chart and you can see that the, the farthest to the right, that little column there showing the little positive gain, that's about normal, okay? That is, like I said earlier, post GFC normal, low growth, low inflation, we did have the negative in the first half of 2022, recovered in the second half, but that is the big time numbers. If we go to the next slide, that this is just breaking it down here a little bit more. So current dollar GDP increased 6.5%, sorry, 6.5% at an annual rate of 4.8 billion in the fourth quarter to a level of 26.3 trillion. In the third quarter, GDP increased 7.7%. So let me just say that a little bit more clearly. So fourth quarter, the current dollar GDP, so that's nominal GDP increased 6.5%. And in the third quarter, it was 7.7%. So you can see that's nominal GDP is slowing pretty rapidly on a quarter to quarter basis. Okay, the price index for gross domestic purchases increased 3.2% in the fourth quarter compared to an increase of 4.8% in the third quarter. So the amount of the inflation adjustment, the price index, it decreased, you know, one and a half percent. So we have a 1% decrease in nominal GDP, but a one and a half percent decrease 
in the inflation, the price index adjustment. So that is obviously, we can see that what I've been saying about the CPI number or the price index is going to fall faster than nominal GDP, forcing real GDP positive is pretty much exactly what we're seeing. So the red underlined here, the PCE price index increased 3.2% compared to an increase of 4.3%, including food or excluding food and energy prices. The PCE price index increased 3.9% compared to 4.7%. So once again, the price indices are slowing faster than nominal GDP. So CK, any thoughts on Q4 GDP? I mean, if we start showing these healthy signs, it's going to be really interesting to see how long they can hike. I'm sure that we're going to go and hit into the yield curves and, you know, kind of seeing the Fed funds rate and, and the divergence there. So like I said, I don't have a I don't have a ton to add to the analysis around GDP, but in general, this idea of the narrative and reality is it's it's bad news for the Fed. And I'm very curious, you know, how many punches to their credibility like this can they can they take with Bitcoin? Right in the past, you know, it seemed like people had amnesia, and I'm curious if that will be the case moving into the future, kind of giving all the things that are happening around us. And given the fact that there are alternatives to the monetary system, you know, whether that's a personal thing or whether that is kind of a corporate or, or a sovereignty thing, a, a, a nation state level thing where they start to decide to move away and start to disregard what the Fed does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There, there's a lot of analysis around this month or this particular release that is going more towards people saying that, hey, is the Fed actually doing a good job? And I don't know how that's going to affect the idea that Bitcoin is there to take over. But this is just the U.S., right? The, the dollar is global and a recession in the U.S., a soft landing in the U.S. doesn't mean a soft landing in China. It doesn't mean a soft landing in Japan. And so, yeah, you're right that Bitcoin is the alternative there that wasn't there before. So we'll see this with all of the discrepancies between countries, you know, how Bitcoin fits into that. And I think that's an important question that most people in Bitcoin don't talk about. They talk about, obviously, Bitcoin is the best money we've ever had. It's hard money and all this stuff. But how is it actually going to get adopted? And so that's what we look at on this show, too, is we break down the differences between monetary policies of different countries, their outlooks, their economic outlooks, and how that plays in with Bitcoin. So let's continue going on here with the, there was some people pulling out some more details on this fourth quarter GDP. And uh, Chris, if you could pull up slide number five, please. This was a tweet from Nick Timoros. He is the Fed whisperer. He's also a writer at the Wall Street Journal, but he said, looking under the hood of the Q4 GDP report, a broad measure of U.S. economic demand that, and so what is the broad measure of U.S. economic demand? It's real final sales to private domestic purchasers, which in, exclude trade, inventories, and government spending. It increased only 0.2%. And if you go to the next slide, that is a chart of this. So you can see that this is the real final sales in the U.S. was barely, barely positive. So that is... There's a mixed signal here. GDP was good. I think this was a good print for GDP, 
but at the same time if you dive in you can see a few of these metrics in here that aren't so bullish so that's all i wanted to say about that let's go on to the year the 2022 gdp numbers if you go to the next slide please so that's this a super is interesting chart though yeah do you have any comments on that last no, chart i just i mean it, it is interesting to just see you know real world divergence from the gdp and maybe even the stock market increases yeah. you know i was kind of saying at the beginning that it still felt like the economy was a shell of its former self you know it seemed like there was just something not quite there so it's interesting to see or at least that like that sentiment kind of in data yeah absolutely and you can see that it's the lowest well it's like the lowest positive number of course we have all these red bars on here but it's the lowest positive number since the great financial crisis right after the great financial crisis so it's a pretty big deal if you ask me and i mean it's uh i had i've had a thought when you were when you were talking there about the real let's see what did you say the real economy versus the oh that th what's great about this though is that you can, and also CPI, which people rag on all the time. They rag on CPI, they rag on the jobs report, they rag on the GDP, and I agree, they are not perfect. They are very, very far from being perfect. However, they are transparent and open source. And so we can look at these, we can break it down and look at individual statistics like that previous chart and see, you know, like actually provide apply some analysis to the individual pieces where we can't do that with just willy-nilly people taking things out of out of nowhere so i think yes it's not perfect the gdp is not perfect but it is transparent at least and yeah so that's all i would have to add to that so okay chris sorry man i'm ready for the next slide here this is the 2022 gdp number so for the whole year and uh, let me just read it for the guys listening a uh, current dollar gdp so that's nominal gdp increased 9.2 percent in 2022 that is a huge number 9.2 percent in 2022 2.15 trillion dollars that's more than most countries entire gdp was just our year over year increase in gdp and let's see so 2021 was a 10.7 percent increase so we did slow down by 1.5 percent nominally if you go from 2021 to 2022 we slowed down 1.5 percent nominally the price index for gross domestic purchases increased 6.8 percent in 2022 compared to 4.2 percent in 2021 and what i did here was the red underlines if you guys can see clearly on the screen it's the red underlines is for this year 2022 so 9.2 percent nominal minus the eight 6.8% on the price indices versus last year 10.7% nominal and only 2.4% on the inflation indices or the price indices so you can see that that is we slowed down slightly on nominal gdp but the year over year price rises actually was higher so anyway, I just wanted to break that down a little bit. So the PCE price index increased 6.2% compared to an increase of 4% in 2021. Excluding food and energy prices, the PCE price index increased 5% compared with an increase of 3.5%. Now, Christian, Christian, before I hand it off to you and I get your take on this, I want to point out that these are year-on-year -year numbers. And what do we see here? We see the exact opposite. 
of what we see on the quarter to quarter numbers. So on the quarter to quarter, we saw falling price indices, falling CPI. And on the year over year, we still see an increase in the CPI. So what I've been saying is month over month is what we should care about. And in GDP, quarter to quarter is what we should care about and not the year over year numbers. If you're still looking at year over year CPI and year over year GDP, you're way behind. You're way, way behind on this big move in the market. So CK, what are your thoughts on the year over year stuff? I mean, I think your analysis is, is spot on, right? And the problem is, is when it comes to centralized entities like the Fed, is they kind of they have inertia they've been doing something a certain way for a while and they are unable to to change or they're unwilling to change you know these kind of decisions these kind of methodological changes going from quarter over quarter or month over month from an annual basis is huge but yet these swings seem to be very huge and they're actively managing. So it seems contradictory that they're actively managing, but they're always insisting on looking in the rear view. So that's exactly yeah. what you're kind of pointing out here is that, hey, are you trying to actively manage correctly? Are you being quantitative or are you, you know, or are you just blatantly just, you know, like you said, bluntly going with, hey, 25% here, 25% here, 50% here whatever and you know you're looking at numbers that don't even reflect you know what's happening on the ground well yeah i mean if, if it was quantitative you wouldn't expect qe to be in round numbers like 60 billion a month you'd expect it to be quantitative actually exact and precise so we need 54 billion this month and 58 billion this month and 42 billion this month same rate hikes as you said there it's not just 25 50 or 75 it should be like how about we do um, you know, I don't know, 37% instead of a 50%. So, or you know what I mean, a 0.37, 37 basis points. But anyway, yeah, that's a great point that it's not really quantitative. They're kind of just winging it. They're always backwards looking and they'll tell you that they're data dependent. And they'll also tell you that their monetary policy works on a lag. It works on a 12 month lag or something. So yeah, it's, it's just all, it's all crazy to, to see these numbers. And again, this is the first estimate, the advanced estimate. So what is the third revision going to look like? It could be revised down 2%. Who knows? And that this is what the Fed is actually using for data to quantitatively do their monetary policy. It just does not check to me. It, it just sounds like a bunch of smoke and mirrors. So I do have one more chart here on this. How did this affect the likelihood of the Fed's next policy decision coming up next week, which we'll be able to cover on next week's show? So Chris, if you could bring up slide number eight, please. This is the FedWatch tool from CM, and it is at 99% positive that we are going, or the Fed is only going to raise 25 basis points and not 50 basis points. There's a lot of other indicators that are saying that this is going to be the last one that they've raised or that they're going to raise. Like, for example, Canada, that seems to be a leading indicator for the U.S. They have raised 25 this month, and then they said they're going to pause after that. So all sorts of signs that this is going to be the last rate hike. And yeah, so any thoughts on Fed policy there or should we just roll into the next topic? Let's go. All right, so now we are on to the big Fed bazooka. And if you remember, we talked about the yield curve control. We've looked at the, their yield curve or we, we've looked at their 
10-year yield, which is the one that they're pegging. You can see here on this chart, this is a very, very interesting chart, that the orange line is how bad it was before they raised their window, their yield curve control window. You can see the little kink at the 10-year mark. But now since they've raised it to 0.5 basis points, or sorry, 0.5%, that it has a bigger kink. The kink actually got worse when they raised it. So there's something going on here in Japan. They've won the battle. I've, I've read a few analyses of this. They've, they won the battle, but they're losing the war. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. What they Wait, decided... Okay, I was going to say, can you talk about, like, can you explain the kink a little bit more for someone who hasn't watched FedWatch before, hasn't yeah. seen the Japanese analysis? You know, what are we looking at here? Okay, so that kink, you know, the little dip in the middle of that line, that is where they're pegging their interest rate, or they're trying to peg a top, a ceiling to their interest rate. The orange line was in the window of up to 0.25%, so 25 basis points plus or minus that was the orange line kink and then back in was it december or i think it was the december meeting they moved it up to 50 basis points and that's what the black line represents and you can see there's a bigger dip a bigger kink in that line so that means the rest of the, the maturities like say that on this chart the seven or eight or nine year Gov Japanese government bond, which I can't believe they have an eight and nine year government Japanese bond, but they do. And that they are much higher. The inversion is much worse than it was in December, even though they raised the window. So that's just what I'm talking about here. All right. That makes a lot of sense. And, and what, you know, I think, you know, what people need to focus on here is that they're trying, you know, they're, they're trying to hold these rates down. And you can just tell that, you know, the market does not care. Right, right. They're, they're trying to hold rates down and they're actually expanding it. So right now it was the 10 year was the one that they were pegging, but now they're kind of expanding that in a soft way to the five year as well. And we'll get into that. So Chris, can we go to the next slide? This is what they did just last week. So they had their monetary policy meeting last week and they leave, leave the, they left the interest rates on excess reserves unchanged and it's at negative 10 basis points. So if you have reserves held at the Bank of Japan, a balance, you're a bank and you have a balance at the, the central bank, you're actually paying 10 basis points on that. Where the, the Fed right now, that the rate is 4.4, 4 4.4% for interest on excess reserves. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay, but that was expected. There was also no change in the yield band, which we talked about that was the yield curve control, and no change to the yield targets. However, they did amend their principal terms and conditions for funds supplying operations against pooled collateral. And we're gonna go into exactly what that means. So they said, shall determine the duration of each loan taking account of conditions in financial markets and the duration shall not exceed 10 years. So they, Basically, what this is, is they are going to give cheap loans to banks to buy government bonds. So they don't have to buy so many government bonds. They're going to give cheap loans to banks to buy government bonds. This is not new. They have been doing this, but they were limited to a one-year maturity. So you couldn't get a 10-year loan to buy a 10-year government bond. You had to 
you know, continually roll over a one year. And also there, the fixed rate of it was set 0%. So you couldn't go below 0%. But now with their new changes, it's up to their discretion what they want the interest rate to be. So they could put it negative. So they could pay you, they could pay the banks money to borrow money to buy government bonds. That's what we're going on. That's the big bazooka that's happening there over in Japan. So let's continue on these bullet points. The BOJ offers to buy five and 10 year JGBs at fixed rate of 50 basis points. All right. And then this last point I thought was very interesting. So in November, their core machine orders month over month fell by 8% in one month. And they are a big manufacturing hub. You know, they're an exporter. That's one, one thing that people always say when you say, well, Kiwi didn't work for Japan. Why would it work for the U.S.? They're like, oh, Japan is so different. It's an export economy where the U.S. is an import economy and all this stuff. Well, their machine orders fell 8% month over month. That is unbelievably bad. They expected 1% and it fell 8%. Year over year, it's almost 4% decline on their machine orders. This is very, very bad news for Japan. So it's not only they're dealing with their highest CPI in a long time, which I think their CPI hit like, I think it finally hit 2%, um, but they're also dealing with a collapsing economy. So that is that. And any comments on that CK before we go into a, a broader article on this? The only, like, I would just give a little additional context from, you know, what I see on the streets. I have a friend, he runs a bunch of different dealerships in the Bay Area. And, you know, the cheap Asian cars, they're not moving because uh, interest rates are higher here. And the type of person that would get those cars would typically get financing. And now it's a, a worse deal. So, and this is happening in a big way. So I'm not shocked that it's affecting the exports of Japan because, you know, that automobiles are, are one of the biggest there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so here's, I have an article for Bloomberg on the next slide is a, just a screenshot of the headline here. BOJ record suggests high hopes for expanded fund operations. And I just wanted to read through a little bit of this article. So, quote, it is expected that continuing with nimble conduct of market operations while making use of the funds supplying operations against pooled collateral will improve market functioning, one member of the BOJ committee said. Kuroda and his board pushed back against intensified speculation for policy adjustments at the January gathering. By keeping its main policy levers unchanged and doubling down on its defense of the yield curve control program, the BOJ's 10-year yield target has come down below its ceiling of 0.5% following the decision. And I, if you go to the next slide, Chris, I do have a, a chart of the 10-year government bond over there in Japan. And you can see the new higher red line, horizontal line is the new ceiling. It They've been having a lot of trouble at the end of last year to keep it below that. But after this January meeting, just last week, it the rate did come down quite dramatically. So back down to 40 basis points. It is approaching back up to 50 basis points again, but at least, like I said, they won the battle but they haven't won the war. All right, continuing with this article, CK, jump in. I was, gonna, I was just going to say that that chart, it, that makes that that comment make a lot of sense when you look at that chart, that, yeah, sure, they brought it down, but, you know, it's not the end. It's not over yet, for sure. 
Absolutely. And the Japanese have been the most creative when it comes to monetary policy. A lot of people say like, oh, just, I mean, I have been known to say this, that, oh, you want to know what is going to go on with the Fed in five years? Just look at what Japan is doing today, because they are constantly at the forefront of this monetary policy stuff. So, okay, let's continue with this article. It hopes for the, the fund operation shifts impact suggests the BOJ may not be seeking any major changes to improve market functioning soon, as indicated by Kuroda at a post-meeting press conference. This month, the bank decided to expand the funding program by allowing itself to determine lending rates for each operation. The BOJ indirectly encourages third parties to purchase government debt or corporate bonds through the operations. Through it, commercial banks can get long-term loans from the central bank at a rate that's lower than bond yields. Overall, the move helps keep yields low for the BOJ. The central bank offered 1 trillion yen, or 7.7 billion, of five-year loans to commercial banks Monday, the longest-term offer for the operation on record. It saw demand for more than three times that figure. In addition to the current large-scale JGB purchases, Enhancement of the fund's supplying operations is a scheme that contributes to stable formation of the yield curve, one member said, according to the summary. And that's it for this article, other than it does point out that Kuroda, so the, the guy that's been setting monetary policy in Japan for many, many years, his term is up in April. So we will see who his replacement is and if they continue on with this type of exceptional monetary policy. So any thoughts on this, CK? I mean, they're just pulling out all the stops, trying to, they're trying to get people to borrow money from the central bank or even pay them to borrow money from the central bank to buy government bonds. Doesn't that sound super inflationary <laughs> to you? I mean, yeah, it sounds super inflationary, but it doesn't work, right? No, it doesn't work. So, which <laughs> it, it's just wild. I don't mean to change the subject too, but yeah. something that I think is very interesting is, you know, I used to, I, I'm a long-term listener of Bitcoin markets. And I remember back in 2018, you'd say, you know, Japan in your mind early on, you thought was very likely to be really into Bitcoin, you know, early and first and hard. And it seemed like it was yeah. going in that direction. But since then, seems like there's been a complete 180 and mm. i recently saw some data showing that of countries interested in or that they polled japan had the least interest and the most distrust around cryptocurrencies so i find that to be wild given the fact that their economy is hurting so badly and you know their central bank is obviously on the forefront of you know all of this crazy monetary policy to try to get things under control, but, you know, obviously they're, you know, they're kind of spiraling out of control. So you'd think that in an environment like that, that is educated and tech forward that, you know, they would also be quick to Bitcoin, especially given their early start. What do you think about that yeah. kind of trend that, you know, despite all of this, Bitcoin isn't really taking hold in Japan? Well, that's an interesting survey. Was that of the, like, population or was it of bankers or experts or population population yeah very interesting i mean they they have done something nationwide recently with their power company right like they were going to start mining across the entire nation over there with 
with one of the large power companies in Japan. So there is marginal uptake. But yeah, I did expect that Japan would definitely be the first mover here because they are the most caught in this debt trap. They're the most caught in this this no growth. I mean, they, they've gone so far past the low growth, low inflation. Now they're at no growth and no inflation. And that's what, after this kind of temporary spike in CPI that they're having over there, it'll just return to that. And so that kind of pressure, I thought, would lead them to reach out and find Bitcoin as an as an alternative. Now that survey also said crypto. I wonder if there would be a different answer if they asked about Bitcoin specifically. So I don't, you always have to wonder about those type of I'll things. I'll try to dig it up for next week's show. But okay. um, yeah, I, I do remember, you know, I've heard people talk about how Bitcoin is not that big in Japan. And then seeing that, that, you know, compared to Canada, the US, negative sentiment was higher. And then lack of interest was, was much, was like, you know, it was in the top one or two. Yeah, that's that's surprising. I mean, there is just kind of an apathy in their entire population, though, it seems. You know, they're, they're not having kids. They're not really, they're not dynamic and, and growing and entrepreneurial. They're, they're very kind of stuck in this debt mindset. And yeah, so that, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. But that's all the news I have for this. Do you have any other stories that you saw that you might want to talk about here for the last few minutes? You know, I I think I heard it from either you or Nolan that that Sri Lanka is taking oil deliveries in rupees now, which I think is a really interesting development. You know, kind of some backstory, Sri Lanka, big island nation off the tip of India. It recently was... Uh, the victim of massive, massive hardships, complete breakdown in all governmental functions. They had to shut down schools because they had no paper and material. You know, they had a gas crisis, they had a sovereign monetary crisis, they had massive riots with insane, incredible footage of people breaking into the palace, you know, stealing and looting things. I believe the prime minister or the president ran away with a suitcase full, suitcase full of cash. You know, like this is complete <laughs> dystopia. And guess what started all of it? It was, it was, it was, uh, what's it called? World Bank and WEF. and WEF policy. So structural adjustments. It was ESG agricultural practices that completely failed. They had no rice which is one of their main which is one of their main crops and obviously a main staple in their diets so it the complete collapse and they go to the rupee so i think that that's an interesting thing to see again we are no, no longer in this unipolar world where it's only dollars for fuel now you know we're seeing energy and 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 gas being traded and 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 it moved around in a lot of different currencies we're seeing a lot of other nation states trying to come together obviously the BRICS coin we heard about brazil and argentina last week and a lot of alternative alliances that are trying to pop up so again i just thought that that was really interesting sri lanka using the rupee and then you know i use the rupee for the last two weeks you know we're using the 500 note a lot it was about 83 rupees to the dollar and it's just absolutely horrifying to me that at one point they had thousand rupee notes which when you're using it in in india it's actually useful that's like you know that's like 30 bucks or 20 dollar bill it's like they don't even have mm -hmm. a 20 dollar bill you know in terms of buying power so 
they devalued it. They said, hey, you have until this date to turn it into the bank. And then after that, it doesn't count anymore. So, you know, what an attack on their on their people. And, you know, that's a, a dagger to to their to their citizens. It, it was just kind of wild to just see it. So effectively, what I'm trying to say is the rupee is a shit coin. It'll be <laughs> it. You know, it. I, I'm very curious to see how the rupee performs against the dollar in the long run. And ultimately, I'm very excited for India and Bitcoin. You know, I didn't see a lot of on the ground adoption. There has been like this on and take from the central bank. I know they love gold, but the Bitcoiners there, there there's plenty of them. They were all hitting me up. So I'm, I'm bullish on that, that group of people being able to understand Bitcoin. I'm hoping that Bitcoin helps Sri Lanka eventually too. So I'm very interested to see the first real Bitcoin to energy transaction that happens because the alternatives aren't that good. Ansel, what do you think about that? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an expert at all on India, but I do know that India has been around for thousands and thousands of years and they will be just fine. I don't like, I don't have any bearish take on India. I don't have a bullish take on India. I think that it is, it's a behemoth in its population size. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what would make it adopt Bitcoin. I don't. I know that it's big gold, so that perhaps Bitcoin can find a bid from Indians being like you know, gold 2.0, and that's probably going to happen. But also, India is not a huge player, despite their gigantic population. They're not a huge player in international financial markets. So the rupee is not all that important, just like the ruble is not all that important. So that's it. And even in international financial markets, the yuan from China is not that important. The the yen, the Japanese yen, is probably 10 times, used 10 times more than the Chinese yuan, despite the Chinese economy being bigger than the Japanese economy. So it's a really weird thing when you talk about currencies, size of currencies, adoption of different currencies. It's not always like a one-to-one where this large population center or this large economy is going to have an equal weight in the monetary, the global financial system. So yeah, you bring up a lot of good, good kind of, I guess, points and, and places that we can just, you know, dig in deeper and maybe do deeper dives on India in the future. That would be very, very interesting. So that's all, that's all I know about India. All right, y'all. That is it. That's all we have for today. It's been close to an hour show. Ansel, thanks again for guiding us through this week in FedWatch. I got to give one last show at the Bitcoin Conference, Bitcoin 2023, May 18th through the 20th. Get your ticket now. Go to the Bitcoin Magazine store. We have one store for tickets and swag. I am dripped in Bitcoin Magazine swag right now. So get your swag today. Get your new magazine, The Broke Issue. And we will see you all in Miami. Peace. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up magazine time y'all bitcoin is for everyone lefties righties and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike and that is why the newest bitcoin magazine print edition is called the orange party issue it features articles by president naive bukele jeff dice natalie smolinski eric Kaysen, max kaiser and jimmy song 
Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.